accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Rapture. It is the Ooh, a tenth episode of the fifth season, aired on December thirtieth, nineteen ninety six. Seeing out the uh, the new year into nineteen ninety seven, I suppose. With this episode, teleplay goes to Hans Beamler. Story goes to L. J. Strom. Directed by Jonathan West. In this episode, on the eve of Bajor's entry into the Federation, Cisco locates the ruins of the ancient lost city of Bahala on Bajor. As the visions that are guiding him prove potentially fatal, Cisco must choose between faith and his own life. We're joined by Clay, as always. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Uh, do you think these new uniforms, do you think the actors actually prefer them? Because they look sweaty. You think? It's a lot of heavy. They look, they look pretty heavy. I don't know if it's just that top piece, but it looks like it's made out of really thick cotton. <laughs> it's well, Cisco's a special one. He has like the cult, like the, the vest thing going mm. on there. Yep. Which, which I think they take off. And the other voice that you've heard is uh, Isaac, patron Isaac, who... Uh, has snuck in as one of the final patron guest hosts where we used to offer uh, patron guest spots on the show. Unfortunately, we don't really do that anymore, but Isaac booked out a few episodes, so he's got uh, one more after this, I think. But this is the one that you chose, Rapture. How are you, Isaac? This is why you plan ahead, people. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, but I'm, I'm doing good. Good, good. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get into this. It's going to be Rapture. We're going to be talking about, is it, what is that heavy wool name? Is it like Gabardine or something? Is that the right word that I'm looking for? I can't remember. Anyway, we're, I don't I don't know clothes. We're, we're, we're <laughs> going to be talking about Rapture. We're going to take a break. Play an audio none, of my, none of my wrestling t-shirts are made out of Gabardine, so I'm not sure. Yes. <laughs> we're going to take a break. Play an audio club. We'll be back and we're going to break down Rapture. Benjamin. You all right? I was there. Sir? Bahala. It was the eve of the Peldor Festival. I could hear them ringing the temple chimes. You were dreaming. No. I was there. All right, Isaac. So I'll start this one with you because you have the most interesting lead into this one. We had uh, Darren on last week because I wasn't here and Darren was had actually chosen the ascent. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I think Clay in his discussion actually touches on why he chose the the Ascent episode, which is kind of an uh, interesting choice. You chose Rapture. Uh, do you want to explain why you chose Rapture? Um. Okay, so I guess it's based on a couple different reasons. So I think I think Rapture is probably one of the better insights into a lot of what DS9 has been trying to build towards to some extent, um, and maybe kind of course correcting a bit of its uh, earlier ideas that may not have gelled as much. So I, th- I think it's an interesting episode to look back on both in hindsight, but also in the current present of seeing how much the storyline of some of these characters in regards to the Bajorans have, have progressed thus far. I think it's like one of those interesting kind of like, you know, step forward episodes, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm prefacing that I'll have a, uh... I, I only texted with Clay uh, earlier, and Clay was not happy with the episode, but he was only halfway through. So, Clay, what did you end up thinking about this one? Uh, I did not particularly like this episode. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know if it's because it was just 40 minutes of all the stuff I've been on record saying I don't like about this show. 
uh, specifically the uh, Bajoran Prophet stuff. I don't know. That stuff just doesn't – it never really clicks with me, and I, I wasn't super keen on – Cisco not- getting superpowers because he because the the holodeck blew up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it, <laughs> and the 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 lost city thing didn't really mean anything to me because as far as I know, is that the first time this has ever come up? Yes. This lost city. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, so that didn't thing, really yeah. mean much to me, and they spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I don't know. I just I don't. I get the some of the the character stuff in it was good. Um, <clears throat> Also, I'm not super thrilled about immediately welcoming Cassidy Yates back into the fold after she just got out of prison for selling secrets to the Maquis mm-hmm. or smuggling whatever she was doing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's not bad. Like it's not a bad episode. I just it's a lot of stuff that I don't that doesn't really interest me about the show. Yeah. So yeah. let me ask you this: if you don't mind, Clay. So sure. like, is the is the Bajoran religion stuff why you don't like it? Is it based on purely the conception of it, um, like the idea of having religious themes and episodes based around those concepts in a otherwise pretty, you know, pro scientific sci fi show, or is it how it's specifically shown and presented in DS Nine? Do you think is the problem? I think it's more the presentation, um, and I okay. don't, I don't have a problem with 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 the religious stuff because I mean I th- I think that's an interesting thing to work in there, um, but I think it's because for a show that is fairly, for lack of a better term, a hard sci-fi show where go- where gods and stuff are very rarely mentioned, and when they are, they're immediately proven to be not that. Um, or eventually proven to be not that. Every time they talk about the Bajoran prophets and and all that kind of stuff, it feels like they forget about the other side, and it just turns into a debate about faith versus science. But science never really gets any sort of foothold on anything because there's it's always well you got to have faith in in the in the the way of the prophets, but there's never really anybody who's like well I mean they're not gods they're if there's something out there doing this, it's got to be some sort of creature, right? Like, so there's there's never really, it doesn't feel like to me anyway, that there's ever really much of a pushback against that other than, you know, they just kind of give knowing looks at each other and then something happens that they can't explain. I don't know if you're on for the, this is way back in the show, season one's finale, I think it was called mm-hmm. In the Hand of the Prophet, something like that. It was basically about this concept. It was, I think, Keiko trying to run a Bajoran school while teaching the prophets as a wormhole alien and not actually like a deity. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the interesting twist that DS9 tries to pull here is that obviously the religious argument, you know, tying into real life is, does God exist? Well, that question is not an issue here because the right. issue is not if the prophets do exist. Right. The issue is whether or not they have deity-like powers and if they are truly connected to Bajor. So I think, I think at this point in the show, it's kind of shown that the prophets to, to some extent at the very least do have an interest in Bajor and can do interesting things um, specifically of that race. Now your interpretation of it and how much that actually affects things. And if you consider it to be a deity or not is very you know up to the bait. But I think that the whole concept there I find more interesting than the generic, you know, is God real argument at the very least. So. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not, uh, you know, that part of the argument doesn't really interest me that much. Cause it, you know, like you're okay. saying that is a fairly 
basic way that they handle this stuff a lot. I think the thing that that always throws me with this stuff is that Cisco always kind of ends up doing the same thing in all of these episodes, or I should say he's he's surprisingly willing to go along with the the uh emissary and profit stuff with without really kind of pushing back on it anymore. I know I know he kind of had that episode where he came to the conclusion that, you know, he is the emissary or whatever. Yeah. That was the last um, season. Yeah, but right. it's still like he's still Benjamin Cisco, right? I feel like he should still be able to write, balance the line and he always they he always ends up swinging so far into the profit stuff without for me having that other side of him <clears throat> that is the Starfleet officer that really kind of pulls him back a little bit, I guess. That's just my personal uh, preference. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to re- I don't want to step away from that. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll say my piece, I guess, and then I'll sort of bring well, you... Saru is great. <laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring it back to what you were talking about, Clay, which is, uh, I think this episode is possibly the most similar episode that we've seen so far clay that i would compare this one to is the wire Mm -hmm. where i think that you'll have a different opinion of this episode when the show is done um and i think that the, the the way that it works here for me is that i think that this is a quietly very impressive episode um i think it's like a it is. There's not a lot going on, and I understand, and I t- I can completely understand your concerns with the profit stuff and everything. What I think this one does is, it, you know, the, the uniforms are kind of a nice trivia bit here, where they change their uniforms. They're now using the uh, the the first contact first contact uniforms. We can talk about right. that afterwards. But sure. the um the thing the thing that they do is like, it's not just a change of uniforms. I think you could actually make an argument that this is a very important change for the series and that you could kind of see this as an end run for a lot of characters where Cisco is getting into the emissary role. I think what they do with Kai Wynn is very impressive in this episode. Mm -hmm. They turned her away from this sort of mustache twirling generic religious adversary and turned her into something more interesting. Yeah, Kira, I like what they did with her. Kira has a lot to do in this one. I think that Jake has decisions to make. <clears throat> Cassidy Yates has decisions. Uh, Bashir makes decisions. And I think that Cisco's what you're saying, I'll throw it back to you, is what Cisco's conflict between Starfleet and <clears throat> his his quote unquote faith in this is mm. represented by the Admiral. And because they don't want mm. they don't want Cisco to go through that internally. Cisco has to be sort of um enraptured by these visions that he's getting and starfleet the role of the admiral who's kind of a boringly played uh, admiral in this one but his role is to play the starfleet role and i think that what the episode does really well is that it plays that uh skepticism of starfleet versus the bajoran faith and neither of Mm -hmm. them come off as ridiculous which i think is a huge accomplishment for the show this is maybe my favorite of the bajoran religious episodes because i think that they touch on things like that without seeming ridiculous without going too far in either direction and i think all the characters pretty much stay to what their true character voice is including cisco um I don't really have a question to go off of that. If if if, um, if you want to respond to that, or we can go to see what uh, Isaac thinks about it. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I'll be interested to see <clears throat> how it how I I look back on this one, assuming I can remember it, 
as we get later into the series. Um, it's not a very yeah, exciting I episode. I will give you like it's not it's not one that you're really like wow that blew my my socks off right there. It's I don't know like I you can even start with like why did you like the Kai Wen thing? See, I think that Kai Wen we've always complained about. She's a generic mustache twirling kind of villain who doesn't really have mm. a clear goal or clear like characterization. They totally fixed that in her one scene with Kira, which she yeah. explains about the beatings that she took and the faith was the only thing that pulled her through. And I think that what the episode's doing is that it's showing all of the different characters in a very organic way their own reaction to this faith that is being demanded by the prophets for them. Not even demanded by the prophets because the prophets aren't in this episode, but the the how everyone is responding to this a very mis- yeah, this very mysterious thing that's happening. Like the Starfleet officers are being scientific. Cisco's being enraptured by it. The Bajorans are totally in the the pocket of it's the prophet type thing. So, what did you like about Kai Wen? I guess so we can branch off of that. Well, I liked I you know I thought that scene with Kira was great. Um, I thought uh, <clears throat> they did a good job of of pivoting her pretty uh, pretty cleanly just by having that statement about her being a prisoner during the time of war and, and, and all that, that whole speech that she gives. I thought that stuff was really good. Um, and the, I think the end piece about not, uh, uh, where he comes in and where Cisco tells them the Bajorans not to join the Federation. I think the way she plays that is, is pretty good. Um, because there's still a little bit of hesitancy to to totally believe what she's saying, I yeah. guess. Yeah, there is. Because um, yeah. she comes there specifically saying maybe it's too early for this. Um, so yeah, I like that stuff. Uh, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's maybe it's the mechanism was was just a little too clunky for me, given the the explosive holodeck and the finding the secret city thing. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if maybe they could have done that cleaner and maybe that would have gotten me more into it. But I, I don't know. It's just I I have a hang up with the with the with the profit stuff for some reason. So, I'll, uh, Isaac, I'll ask you why. Why do you consider this? to? If you think this is a strong episode, what do you think is one of the stronger things about it? Um. I think it's a strong episode in certain ways, and I would say that I enjoy what what the episode does correct. I love about the the episode. Um, I think what Clay might be talking at here, which I can partially agree with, so I, I think that the presentation, like even to like a visual extent, is probably what draws me a bit out of some of the scenes in the episode. I mean, like it, it is almost like straight out of the Bible, <laughs> that scene where Cisco walks back on DS nine and then there's like all these Bajorans like walking up to him and like touching his outer garment. Yeah. That was a bit, that was he, a bit much. Yeah. As he like tells them like your, your son will be healed. And <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think the show has a very like, I don't say nineties approach, but a very kind of one note, like one dimensional, I guess, view of, of what religion represents from a visual perspective. Um, and I think because of that, the presentation of it suffers, but the, 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 but the, the concept and the thematics and what it does, like you were saying, Wes, about the characters, I think is what elevates this episode. Um, my favorite, I think aspect of the episode is how much it does for, I think the ensemble as, as a whole. So like you see, like, um, Oh, what's that scene? There's a scene in Ops where it's Kira talking to Dax about faith, 
and then you don't expect Worf to like back up Kira, but he does. But he but you understand why because even though their faiths are completely different, there's still like the connection of the concept of spirituality mm-hmm. that binds them. Um, and that's kind of interjected by O'Brien's much more standard Starfleet scientific view. Um, but at the same time, like you said, it's very tempered. So it's not a scene that that scene could have easily devolved into just like a shouting match or, you know, O'Brien just rolling his eyes at Kira, but instead he just says, you know, I hope you're right, essentially. So yeah, I love, I love how there's a mutual respect and a, a commonality to all of this, despite obviously it being a very divisive inherent thing. Um, I also think this is probably so <laughs> kind of, kind of an off topic part, but like, Watching this episode really makes me feel like this is one of the quintessential just if I wanted to show someone what Cisco is <laughs> kind of an episode, I would kind of show them this one. I mean, not for the character of Cisco, but just for like the acting and just the mannerisms hmm. that Avery Brooks does. <laughs> it's kinda oh man. Like like no high point no high pitched yelping in this one. Well, true, but like like think, the way he, he just one, responds actually, to when, things. When he sees the, when he looks at the orb, he gives kind of a little bit of a yelp. I think. <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking of the one where like Kira walks in on him and he's just like blank staring at the at the what obelisk or whatever, mm-hmm. and like you know he's describing the, the what he saw and the vision and everything, and she's like you know oh so what you know what was it like and it was wonderful. <laughs> it well, was here's here's, here's <laughs> the thing the well, I guess we can stick on Cisco. For a little bit. So Clay's okay. Clay's saying that um, he doesn't like, or uh, yeah, Clay, you're saying that basically you, you find it a little bit uh, unbelievable that the Starfleet aspect of Cisco doesn't come through in this episode. Well, I, I think it's also, I think the mechanism is honestly a big part of it um, because it, it starts off as something fairly, uh, for lack of a better term, realistic. Like Bashir doesn't diagnose him with uh, being touched by the prophets, right? Mm-hmm. He just diagnoses him with something that is something he's seen before, with side effects that he predicts down to the you know down to the letter, essentially. Yes. So, I think the fact that they they have him just so um, unwaveringly. Is that a word? Did I use that correctly? I think so, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, unwaveringly um, go down the the profit route without there being any sort of like, you know, maybe you just stuck your fingers in a socket and you're not seeing correctly. I think that's part of it. It's it's just this weird, the the the, the liftoff of it is, is very strange. And the fact that he never doubts what he's seeing at any point. Mm-hmm. And uh, that he... Um, you know, yeah, he turns into this this Christ figure, who's you know predicting the the crops for next year, and and I, it's just weird that the, it just very, very like hard turns into now he's Jesus or whatever. He's now he's you know touched by touched by the the gods, and not even Bashir is like I think he might just have brain damage. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and I yeah. I mean that I guess that's just a personal preference, but well, it. it it, it it reminds me slightly of the problem that I had with Tilly's storyline in the last episode of Discovery, mm-hmm. because they're using the story to to really do a lot of like you were say, you guys were saying sort of repositioning and kind of setting up for the as for the story as it moves forward, but there's not really a <clears throat> uh, 
there's not really a a a, a, a want or a, or a, a a drive that he's being given from whatever is possessing him or whatever. I mean, I guess it, no, I see, guess it works because it, I, I it would, comes. Yeah, go go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say I guess it, I guess it works because it, it culminates with him seeing the vision about not uh joining the federation i guess i guess you could argue well, that's what it well, is well he it's reverts back him. too you have to remember after he loses the memories and after he slowly recovers from mm-hmm. that there's a scene at the end where he's talking to the admiral and he still remembers everything and he right. stands by what he said while he was under the visions but still with the mindset of true cisco for lack of a better term right right Starfleet so cisco. It, right so it still shows that there was a a meaningful development there and it wasn't just like a flash in the pan oh he's possessed by you know a god and it's then it's over you know well here's here's the thing that they what they do what i appreciate is that they don't show you the visions however yes what i think is problematic is that you have a hard time cisco my understanding cisco is seeing shit that would blow your mind you know what i mean like he's he's seeing the basically the nature the truth of the universe and he can't handle it which which if you don't see that, it becomes hard as the viewer to latch onto it. I'm very glad they didn't try to visualize it because I think it would have mm. come off as cheesy in that way. You so I had a, another Troy floating in a, a yeah, void no, of light. One on one circles or whatever. But but you know what I mean? Like Cisco Cisco's being shown the truth of the universe and the show is stuck in a hard place where it can't really show that to you. So you kind of have to take it on faith in some ways that Cisco is receiving uh. this because mm-hmm. you that that's my justification for Cisco going all in because Cisco is seeing things that are really revelatory to him, and the way you know it is that his grief when he can't see it anymore is palpable. Right. He, he like he's very upset that this has been taken away from him and what what Jake did to him. And I, go, go ahead. Well, the fact that he puts that over Jake as well. Right, I mean, yeah. not yeah. not in a way that is malevolent or that he wants to. Like it, you know, it, you definitely see the conflict in Cisco's character, but. You know, the fact that everything that he holds dear, I mean, to some extent, even his Starfleet career, because the Admiral's just like, <laughs> he's not having any of his crap, right? Um, so every single aspect of what makes Cisco Cisco is all telling him to not do this, you know? So I think it kind of puts in the, into mind a bit more the gravity of what he's seeing to cause him to go, go back on everything else that he truly loves and cares about. I did really like that scene with, uh, with him and Jake and I think Cassidy. I think so. Where, yeah. uh, the one at the end, or the one he, before he, the, uh, the one before the end, where he's talking about holding holding a baby in his arms, but yes. this time the baby is the universe. Yeah. And I was just I thinking, like Jake oh, must yeah. have been like, Jake must have been like, so are you guys? <laughs> I'm not good a, enough for you anymore. <laughs> all right, no, I was just thinking, being like so confused. Jake would be like, so are you guys having a kid? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Or <laughs> Avery Brooks? <clears throat> um, but I think. Oh, go ahead. Go well, ahead. Avery Brooks served that. that I think that's, that scene, as it's happening, I'm like, this is very close to veering into horribleness. But I, I think they do that really well in, the, in that yeah. whole thing, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's just for me, the even even in those scenes, it doesn't feel like anyone is pushing back on him with any sort of doubt about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like even even the admiral is pushing back from the point of view of like, well, you know, you're a Starfleet officer and blah 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 blah. But not even Jake is or or is saying like, Dad, you're talking insanity. This you you you're you you could you you you're dying and you have some sort of brain damage. You're not seeing you're not seeing these like nobody questions his visions. Yes, and I I feel like that's what what's missing for me is like the it it. 
it it goes so hard into the uh, 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 the faith argument, but no one ever pushes back in a way that is is more of like a well, you know, how do we know he's seeing well, what he's what he's seeing? Here? Well, don't you think that start like I, what I, what I like about that conversation that they have in Ops, where it's Worf and Kira against O'Brien and Dax, is that. Mm-hmm. Starfleet's in this weird position where it's a very realistic thing to be as sort of like an atheist or an agnostic where other people are coming at you with their beliefs and you can't just be like, well, this is all bullshit. You know, like they they kind of have to be like, well, this is your culture and this is what you believe. And even though we have all this evidence that this is just a brain problem in Cisco's head, we kind of have to like, they have to be courteous to them, Mm. you know? And Mm -hmm. I feel that Starfleet is stuck in that position here where... They respect the Bajoran culture, even though they know that the prophets are aliens, they're not gods, and they know that these visions are part of Cisco's um, damage. The problem that the problem that comes back to bite uh, Starfleet in the butt is that Cisco's visions become correct at a certain point. Like he is seeing mm-hmm. something. He is seeing something that the prophets would sort of divine as to be something that would be coming. Well, there's also the Federation angle of not wanting to cause any rifts right before the Bajorans are accepted into the Federation. Yeah. Mm. So, like, if they were to put a more heavy foothold in stopping Cisco. That would have just completely enraged the Bajoran. Oh yeah, canceled yeah. I, I don't think that the Starfleet angle had to do that, but I mean, like, the, even even Jake is not throwing pushing back on him that much. You no. know, he's just there's he's just sort of listening to him talk about these space babies and 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 do this <laughs> this whole sequence from uh, Close Encounters of the DS Nine where he's you know building these letters he doesn't know of things he saw in a dream to l- lead him to this city that is underground. Um, and it's it's just there's well, not a lot of pushback, and me, I, I'm not I'm not saying that it, it has to be like this grand argument of you know yeah. f- science versus right. faith or anything, but it just it seems it goes so far in one direction that the characters who I I don't th- I think not just based on the position uh, or or the the argument that is kind of going on, but the, but their character would naturally push back. Like I feel like Jake in that situation would naturally push back. I feel like Bashir would naturally push back. I I, I would have liked a stronger Jake argument when Cisco, Ben Cisco is not just unconscious and can't fight back against. Like I would have mm. I would have liked one stronger scene because I don't think they really have one that really gets into the nuts and bolts of it. But yeah. So let me let me. I guess I'll. I don't feel like I'm pushing back, but I'll I'll say that um, we're in the middle of Discovery watching Clay and. Mm-hmm. This rapture to me felt like such a a better version of what the storytelling that Discovery wants to do is yeah. because rapture to me, I really feel like, uh, and a lot of the problems that you have with the episode, I feel I can kind of explain away, or at least I can mm-hmm. attempt to explain away by saying mm-hmm. rapture is the end of a journey that has been taking five seasons to get to, you know, yeah. like the Kira has the scene about the she did, when she started the series she didn't think that Starfleet was the right thing for Bajor and now she's come around to this whole thing. Kai Wynn has turned her life around at this point. You could Cisco Ben Cisco has been on a slow distancing of himself from Starfleet across this entire series. I think you can make that right. argument. You could see him taking this assignment is his first. He's like physically removed himself from Starfleet. He's on the frontier. He starts having uh, issues with the way Starfleet handles things like the Maquis. He starts realizing that out here, we can't really do everything by the book. There are too many other things at play. I have to kind of make the decisions myself. And Mm -hmm. now 
the the other storyline that Ben Cisco like the entire reason that Cisco is out there is because Starfleet wants Bajor to join the Federation. That was the emissary mission. That's the whole reason he's out there. And the thing that they tie into this is that the Bajorans see him as the emissary or their kind of prophet to the prophets. And this is the combination of those two things. And I think it's important here to realize that Cisco basically turns his back on Starfleet, not fully because they say that he has the line at the end. He's like, Bajor will join the Federation. Don't worry about it. But this is a big decision on Cisco's part because Cisco sides with Bajor over Starfleet. And I think that right. that's really right. like for it's it's taken five years to get to this point. But I think that is important to realize that I, I think everything this episode builds off of has to take place in context of everything that's come before for the first five years. And I think it's important in that way. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the character stuff is all really good for all the reasons that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, it's like those are, you know, I, to to make it a discovery comparison, I, you would get this episode in like as like episode three right. or episode four of the season. And all of these decisions that people are making or things are saying would be totally inconsistent with anything you've seen up to this point. But I think you're right. I think everything, the way that people react to a lot of this stuff or a lot of the people react anyway. Um, is consistent with how they've been handling these characters. And what's great about it is you, you know, you can have an episode like this where it's just kind of a lot of talking, but the talking isn't boring because everybody is so, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Everybody's so has such a handle on the characters and how the characters have been moving that you can just have a scene where it's uh, O'Brien Worf, Kira, and Dax just kind of shooting the shit about the situation, or it's just and Odo every- and Worf talking about booking arrangements in the uh, in the yeah. station. Yeah, yeah, and 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 everything they're saying, even if it's not like lighting you on fire, is uh, thematically consistent and uh, characteristically consistent. Yeah, which is is pretty impressive in and of itself. So to jump back off of what um, Wes was saying a second ago about Cisco, so what if you could summarize? <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Clay, what mm-hmm. you maybe think about Cisco's arc up to this point then? So like as Wes was mentioning, there's been a five season build to this essentially. Um and from here it kind of branches into a new thing. So do you think that this was like earned or something that was maybe a bit like too out of left field or like, what's your overall thoughts from season one till now about Cisco? Um I think it's I think it's pretty earned. I think even from episode one, they establish him as kind of uh, side eyeing the Federation to an extent, uh, based on the way that he uh, his wife has been killed and how he deals with Picard and stuff. Yeah, because yeah, by by Picard too. Yeah, no yeah. Th- there's an there's an instant instant distancing f- of of Cisco from the Federation from the get go of the show. And yeah, they they have they have built him into someone who is playing think, by Starfleet's rules, but you know he 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 understands that that's not the 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 uh, the be all end all. He know? adopts the best parts of Starfleet, I think, more than some yes. of the other captains, and he's willing to get away from the bad parts of it. Yeah, you know? so I think it also ties into the theme of what YouTube been mentioning. In the past of a podcast of this is Cisco's version, his his method of being an outcast, right? Because he exactly. is an outcast of his own uniform, yep. to some extent. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is that he is, and I think this is one of the major themes of the whole show in terms of character is that you take these outcast people 
and they find their own home out of it. So, like we mentioned, like you mentioned earlier, every every character seems at this point in the show to kind of find their own groove and little niche within the station. Each character is trying to mold into themselves what they are, both as people, but also as what they represent and what they do. You know, mm. so for Cisco, this is kind of one of those things where, to him, what's going to replace Starfleet? For that, that might be the Bajorans, you know? Right. So I, I think it's an interesting element of this consistency of DS9's character work and why it's all ty- like tying back into the central theme of, of outcasting from your home culture and adopting something foreign, for better or for worse. So with all that in mind, I think what I would have preferred to happen is if Cisco makes the recommendation or, you know, I don't know what else you would call it aside from a recommendation for Bajor not to join the Federation with a clear head. I think that way it's, it doesn't feel as much like he's being driven by whatever psychosis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like he stumbles into this room, like having an aneurysm yelling about (laughs) Bajor not joining the Federation And, and which is like, you know, it's dramatic. Sure. But like, I, I feel like it would. I feel like it would have, for me, been a more potent um, turning point and marker. If let's say again, not to backseat rewrite, but uh, if the reason that he doesn't show up to this thing is because his his mind goes nuts or whatever, right? And so then they have to postpone it, and then they do the surgery, and he comes out of the surgery, and that being free from this thing, but still having those memories, he makes the decision then that Bajor should not join the Federation because he still remembers everything, but he's making it with a clear mind. So he's making a very conscious decision to turn, turn his back on the Federation. And you, you don't, you don't think, think that you, you don't think he'd need to explain his visions at that point. Like if, if I was watching it thinking that he was clear headed, I would feel a little bit annoyed that he wasn't sharing what the vision was with me. You know what I mean? Well, I think I think you could still share it. I mean, I think you could have him. I, I don't know. I don't remember how much sharing of it he does. He says stuff about locusts and stuff. Yes, I think he, you can still. I vague. think you can still do that. Honestly, I think I would probably find that more effective if Ben Cisco, totally sober, starts telling you about like the revelation of apocalypse that he saw. Mm-hmm. That I, I think that would. I mean, I, I, this is just personal preference for me, but yeah, I feel yeah. like it was. If, as far as a, a a major turning point like this, I would have preferred to see it come from Benjamin Cisco completely sound mind. That's fair. I think I think this is one of those elements that Wes was mentioning at the start where this might change for you in retrospect. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, the, I'm open to that. Yeah, because this is one of the things because I think I think the gravitas of the fact that he is saying this while under the influence of the visions is showing the weight of what the prophets are kind of thinking. At this mm. point, because the prophet's one of these kind of background entities, for lack of a better term, but the you you're you're kind of seeing their their emotion and how they feel about the situation, what's going on through Cisco. Mm. So, like, I think one of the better ways to kind of view what's going on in the episode is not so much look at it as oh, it's just weird brain damage Cisco. Look at it, look at it, look at it as the prophets. Voicing Cisco. Well, I, I, I don't. Sense. I don't think that's ever said in the. So, well, I don't think. I don't think it's that's like directly happening. But I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that the visions themselves point to, you know, like the dramatic events being, you know, impressive. Well, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, well, the 
I also would have preferred that he get again, this is shuffling around stuff, but I think I would have preferred him if he had gotten zapped by finding that pillar for real and like touching it or something. Mm-hmm. I think that would help change my perspective on it a little bit because I like I was trying to reconcile why you know getting blasted by a panel in the holodeck would would give him these crazy visions right um so so i mean if you have him looking for this city and i know the visions help him find the city but you know for lack just stay with me here <laughs> uh, if if he finds the city or s- somehow w- whatever blasts him is more directly connected to bajor and not just the hollow suite at quarks mm-hmm. i think that would go a-, a longer way for me too as far as like all right well then yeah the stuff that's happening to him is some sort of mystical connection that he's having. Sure, you know, right. Yes, there's a connection to Bajor. Yeah. Yeah, instead of just like he conveniently starts getting <laughs> visions because he <laughs> stuck his finger in a socket. Yes. You know what the weird thing about the Bajor? Um, it's a painting, right, that they're looking yeah. at? Why Why is oh, there a reflection yes, on a painting? Yes, I was going to say that. Yeah, there's some... some uh, at first... I thought it was really funny because at first I was when they uh, they start doing the enhanced thing that they do in all of these shows. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, it actually kind of makes sense here because they scan the painting in. So I assume their scan resolution is very high. So you can you'd be able to zoom in very easily uh, in ways that you can't in, like, say, Blade Runner when they have, <laughs> you know, you're zooming in and actually moving the camera around. Which or the is vengeance hilarious. factor where they, they just yeah. they fill in the uh, the girl behind the guy. Yes, yeah. I, I love I love it when they do that. Um, but then, yeah, then he zooms in and he's like, there's a reflection in this waterfall. It's like, motherfucker, I paint for a living. And I can tell you they did not paint the reflection in that waterfall. That was a little bit, it was a little, little bit of a stretch, I think, right there. But yeah, he's, he's clearly enamored by the, uh, the postage card stamp thing and Dex is not really enamored. That's the other thing. If it was like, if this was a, you know, a wall sized mural representation of this city, then maybe he paints the waterfall, but I still doubt it. I, I mean, isn't that a little bit like if they had found the mural underground like that, like, and it's mm-hmm. a clue to the city? I think that's a, a better way because I do like your idea of the spirituality that's driving him come from Bajor in some yeah. way and not just be like a you know, sparks on a board when he touches it for some reason, yeah. it, it goes off because Nog or uh, Rom wasn't able to get around to fixing the, uh, the hollow suite. There's not even like, honestly, even if there had been something like the wormhole just happened to open up and burp or something, yes. right? As the thing blows up, yep. just something that makes the connection more direct to the profits or whatever, instead of just being a, a happy accident. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the, uh, I think, I think probably part of the reason that that it works that way is to hone in on the theme of faith in this episode, mm-hmm. um, because it'll kind of diminish a bit of the character work of them having these debates over faith or you know what what it means to believe in the prophets to some extent. If it was all kind of just showed and not just uh, a bit more implied and nuanced like it is here. So like if you like you were saying like if the if the wormhole like you know flared up or something that would be a much more evidential thing towards the naysayers of well okay something legit's going on here whereas if you remove that and it's all just internal to cisco then it becomes much more of a uh you know something you can't quite grasp onto so you kind of have to just but but you know go with your own interpretation i I think i think the episode's in a tough spot because they have to show that the rapture visions are true 
They, mm. they have to show that right. this is happening. So because if not, you run into Clay's problem of everyone would just be like, well, you obviously have brain damage. You know, if, you, if, you, if none of the things yeah. were coming true, it would be a much easier fix. The problem for them all is that, and that's why I don't think that the wormhole thing is that much of a problem because the, everyone in the show is seeing the evidence that what Cisco is seeing is true. They, they know, like, I, that's maybe not true. He's making predictions, but he seems to know things that he shouldn't know. At, a, at on some level and mm. i guess you could skillfully argue that he actually maybe never does even predict anything in this episode yeah he um, just when he walks down the promenade there he just is making bold claims i like the one guy's like you should get the fuck out of here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about that that was amazing you should leave you <laughs> and he just like slowly like bows his head and says, yes yes emissary <laughs> I guess I, all wise. I was looking at Memory Alpha. I guess that guy, because of that event, they like wrote novels about him, which is why I hate Star Trek novels. But they took that Bajoran yeah, and yeah. like turned him into something. Um, oh yeah, that's oh that's gosh. that's fodder for 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 uh, deep <laughs> canon right there. But but you know, it was like I guess what I'm arguing is that I think maybe the most skillful point that the episode does is that it. I think it does kind of dance around whether or not Cisco's correct or not. It has mm. one, he makes one prophecy, which I thought was very bizarre that Kira never calls him. He says, in the coming Dominion War. And apparently yeah, no one bats yeah. an eye at that. Yeah, I know. Um, so, <laughs> Especially Kira, your security officer or whatever she is, should be like, I'm sorry, Yeah, first what? officer, essentially, yeah. She called Red Alert. And so... Maybe maybe I've just sort of talked myself into disagreeing with myself, or maybe I'm agreeing with myself. But I think that they, I think they, what they do is that they hide everything well enough between the various points of view where you can kind of argue either way, whether or not Cisco's right, mm-hmm. whether or not he's wrong. And I think that they, for a Star Trek series, and Star Trek is never particularly good at that. I think that they do that pretty well here. And I will sure. say, I will agree. It's not a great episode that's very exciting to watch. There's not a lot going on. This is not one of this is one of those that sort of fucks up our scale because I can't I wouldn't say I would recommend that someone watch right, this episode. Right. But based You kinda have to though. You you kinda to do. Some extent. You kinda do. I think that we'll we'll see how it goes when we go along. But I think that the I, I think it's just it's one of those episodes that the way I would sum up how I feel about this, the first 15 minutes of this episode feel like it could have been the first 15 minutes of the series finale. You know what I, I mean? See. Okay. Yeah. And I think that even down to the uniforms changing and you, Clay, you talked with Darren in the Ascent episode about how they're a militaristic uniform. This mm. the, the series does become a much more war storyline going forward. Like there's a, yeah. there's a big change Cisco's sort of coming to God, coming to Jesus moment matters is going to matter going forward. And I think that this is, I see this episode as a bookend of the previous episodes that have come. And I see this as a very strong turning point for the series, for the show, too. Yeah. I won't argue with that. Yeah. Wait, so with the previous, so the first contact uniforms in Ascent, or I thought this was the first episode they were in. Uh, no. They are. Uh, they are. I think you you and. Are they not? Oh, are they? I, I can't remember. I can't remember. I forget because it's not the episode where it's like Quark and Odo on a ice planet or something. It is. I think yeah, you and I, okay. you and Darren were just talking about it. Uh, yeah, we were just a, talking about it because I, I definitely gotcha. was. I definitely uh, was not used to seeing them in this episode. So, so what do I we? Th- what do we think the about the these? One. What do we think about these uniforms, Clay? Um, I have always liked these uniforms. Uh, I th- I think they are a great. Uh, evolution of the Star Trek uniform from the or, well, yeah, the going from the the, the evolution the TNG from T, TNG to this, I think is is great. Um, 
they had the DS9 me, stop with the, uh, they were sort of wearing um, the like overalls with the previous DS9. They were a little bit looser, the earlier seasons of DS9 yeah, with the cuts. Yeah, I like those too. You know, it, it's funny because I, uh, I have always preferred, historically anyway, in my relationship with Star Trek, I have always liked the first contact uniforms the best. But after watching Deep Space Nine, I kind of veered more towards the Deep Space Nine uniform because mm-hmm. I just I don't know I just really like the it's very striking the the black the black body with the colored shoulders I think it's just a really good look yeah um and you get you know when the, when they unzip it a little bit and they get that little bit of gray underneath it looks good too you know the the O'Brien special yep you can roll um, up the sleeves and everything yeah. Too, yeah but honestly I do really like these um. I, you know, and I do feel like they do really kind of change the tone a bit. Everyone looks uh, so bulky. I think they'll tone that down a little bit, but everyone looks like they've got shoulder pads on in this yeah, one. They and, they yeah, they do look really, they do look like they just took them from the first contact set and didn't like measure anybody or make new ones. <laughs> I, yeah. I I like them because I think that, I I think your strongest argument against them is the fact that it removes the color from Star Trek yeah. a little bit, and yeah. I I think they do. Although what I, what I also noticed is that they've kind of toned the red down to more of a maroon with them mm, now, yep. and and things like that. So they're making everything a little bit more subtle. But I I always felt that these uniforms were the most realistic of the Star Trek uniforms. Like there's a you yeah. see you see the color underneath on their turtleneck or their shirts, and then they have sort of a standard jacket that they wear over it. Um, yeah, I would agree. And I, I think that they, um, I think these, you know, if you probably got up close and looked at it, you wouldn't be impressed by the, like the craftsmanship or anything. But I think that they make the, the show look a little bit more higher budget for some reason yeah, than the does. cheaper ones. Yeah. They, they look like they're really designed and that they're meant to be there. They, they look more professional, yeah, I think, yeah. is, the, is mm. the biggest thing. They don't look like, you know, cheesy 80s sci-fi uniforms. They look like, you know, a much like you're part of an established organization type of yeah. type of thing. We've come a long it's way almost, from the spandex onesies of TNG's first season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's almost, uh, you know, I think you're right, Wes. I think it does make the budget feel higher because the, the, the great thing about the previous uniform is that it's perfect for uh, small scale television because you've got your black body, which gives you the silhouette of, you know, the figure. And then it just pops on the shoulders where you're going to be spending most of your time looking like it doesn't yeah. matter. The camera's going to be on their faces. Yeah, yeah. Chest down. It doesn't matter what the hell they're wearing. You're never going to see that. You're never going to look at it. Um, and in small televisions, high without high definition, it really maximizes the, the, the design of the uniform. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think here it does make it look more uh, cinematic. I think it does make it feel more like a higher budget show and that they are actually uh, putting more thought into the, the design from a um, uh, craft standpoint, like you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, than just how to like a like it's then just a graphic, you know, hard, hard color pop representation. And it does. It sounds like the show is going to be getting darker yes. in tone. Yep. So it, it is a good change. It fits, yeah, it fits the aesthetic of yeah, the show, I would definitely. say more. Um, now, interestingly, compare this to, like, so my personal favorite Star Trek uniform is probably the TOS movies. Like, well, Wrath of Khan yeah, yeah. <laughs> onwards, essentially. I know that they're all very kind of monotone in the similar color, but I like the um, utility it looks like those uniforms have. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the belt straps and the fact that, like, Kirk can, like, unbutton the side vest and everything. They, that that felt the most naval to me, especially considering that most of the Kirk movies were 
very naval and it's like how the ships kind of moved and functioned anyway. Mm. It felt like Starfleet was the most kind of just, you know, they just, you, you felt like you were na- like a naval ship in space. Kind they had of, that weird, almost. that weird bib thing though. Is the only thing that like, would they unbuckle the bib for some reason and it just hangs <laughs> yeah, down? That is true. I don't, I don't know about that, but I, I like, like those. The, uh, the, the, the Napoleon jacket. That's right. Yeah. Have you guys ever, I assume you guys aren't really gamers. Have you ever seen um, Star Trek online stuff at all? No. No. Okay, um, not to give anything away because that sh- the, the game is set like 30 years post DS9. <laughs> so I was like, it expands in the lore. It's called the Picard um, series. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him the sipping tea at Earth. Anyway, um, but yeah, so those that game actually has a brand new set of uniforms called the Odyssey set, which is probably, in, in terms of just visual aesthetic, probably my favorite next to the Kirk ones. Mm. Um, I think they're like a nice evolution from what we see here in DS9. I mean, it's, it's in a game and it's, you know, rendered in a much different way. So you can't really judge it by the same lens, but purely aesthetically, you should check those out sometime. I'll it's be honest well. with you. I am the, I, I am more excited for the uniforms in that Picard show than I am anything else. Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm dying to see the uniforms and the ships and, but anything besides that will just be, you know, ice so, as long as they have a vest. So, so yes. funny non sequitur actually. Now I don't know how confirmed this is, but from what I have heard, I do I do play STO um, fairly frequently. Um, so it seems that the writers team on that game has given some creative liberties to CBS about using what they have written as where Picard is in that timeline to correspond to what the Picard show is going to be mm-hmm. like. Oh, cool. Um, so not to give a lot away, but essentially within STO's storyline. Picard kind of becomes more of a diplomat and more of a reserved um, retired officer, uh, but still has a strong connection to um, Starfleet and a lot of the characters we knew from TNG. So he's he's a much more kind of tempered and wise person and not so much isn't that what, whatever isn't that what the he, other speculations Isn't that what he always, well, always was, though? When it, was he ever not well, tempered? Well, sure, but like tempered in terms of his wisdom, I think a bit more so. Mm. Like so, like for example, not not to give too much away, but in shortly after the events of Nemesis by STO's timeline, the Borg start to like, evade, invade like proper, um, and Starfleet goes you know full on military and everything. Um, so you would think that Picard would be much more enraged again by the Borg presence, but he's he's kind of taken a much more tempered stance on even what is traumatizing to him as a character. It's kind of interesting. He got it all out. He got uh, it all out when he shot that one with the Uzi on the holodeck, and he, that's yeah. true. <laughs> and the speech to Lily, yeah, I think those two things kind of solidified what his feelings were. But yeah, so if 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 they go the, the route that um, the game kind of set in line, I would, I, I think it would be well done. But time will tell. We'll see. We have we only have two years or whatever it takes to come out. Anyway, I think we're going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. We're going to come back, give our thi- uh, final thoughts about Rapture, and then we're going to read some patron thoughts. Those of you who were in the Resistance, you're all the same. You think you're the only ones who fought the Cardassians. That you saved Bajor single-handedly. Perhaps you forget, Major. The Cardassians arrested any Bajoran found to be teaching the word of the prophets. I was in a Cardassian prison camp for five years. And I can remember each and every beating I suffered. And while you had your weapons to protect you, all I had was my faith and my courage. All right. 
So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We'll read them on the podcast. There's not a lot for Rapture, actually. This is uh, some people who comment on everything didn't comment on Rapture, which is interesting. Uh, Christian Pouch says, Rapture, ooh, new uniforms. The best uniforms that post-TOS Trek ever had. They look rugged, military, utilitarian. They also look really good on the characters. I think it's partly the shoulders. The padding makes everyone look a little bit more athletic. The high collar of a division-colored undershirt looks really sharp. Dax especially looks really good in hers. Oh, right, the episode. Yeah, kind of melodramatic for my tastes. I know it's kind of setting things up for the future, but it didn't really hold my interest. But the uniforms. And then we have... Zam Nuclear Wessel says, Rapture, there's a point in there where Admiral Tim Meadows sees how much the Bajorans and the crew idolize Cisco, and I can imagine him going all apocalypse now and ordering Martin Sheen to go upriver and terminate Cisco's command. Terminate with extreme prejudice. Matthew Ross says, The Rapture, the return of obsessive compulsive Cisco. DS9 meets close encounters without the mountain made out of potato. Apparently, there's a war going on, but in the meantime, we look at the small room. Interesting mystery as to what the lost city of Z on Bajor is like. Meanwhile, Pope Evil is back and looking to make trouble, but she raises some good points on how everyone was a freedom fighter. The admission of Bajor being delayed in this seems a little bit weird in the way that they have strongly desired admission, and one questions if it really is divine intervention or insanity. Cal- yeah, so we, we actually, we, we kind of skipped on this point, actually. So what, what do you guys think about Kira in this episode, like her character, and how she interacts with Kai Wen? Do you think that this is a strong Kira episode? I like that one scene with them. But I, I think I've said this before. I don't like how religious Kira is. Uh, she always ends up. I mean, you know, because she's Bajoran. So anytime they have a conversation about it, she's the one that ends up being the pro prophet, while the you know the other mm-hmm. ones are talking around it. But I've always felt <laughs> like I've always felt like Kira should be more agnostic than she is, and I I, I don't. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on you here, Clay. I think that she is in this one. I think she operates in a middle ground here, where she is not willing to follow Kai Wen down the. We have to do whatever the prophets say because she has the thing about the end about you know Jake Sisko didn't want his dad to die, and that's his decision. She she is the moderate. I think she she talks about the prophets a lot, but she's not a hardliner like Kai Wen is in this. I think I think it's just that like. She does kind of play both sides, depending on how many Bajorans are in a scene together. She does. And we've mentioned before how it only seems to come up during Bajoran religious episodes, her faith comes yeah. up. And then, you know, and she'll play the, she'll go down the middle, but then like later on, she'll, you know, someone will say something after Cisco makes some declaration and they'll do like a soft focus on her and she'll have that like starry look in her eye and she'll be like, well, it's the will of the prophets. You know, yes. it's it's weird. They kind of go back and well, forth with her, but I guess I think I guess there's there's room there's no reason why she can't be conflicted, you know. I think in episodes that don't focus on the prophets and on Bajor, where they have to give Kira some lines to reaffirm that she is very religious, I think I think it becomes a bit more jarring because she is then being put against everyone else who is not religious. Mm. Versus if you then compare relig- um, Kira's stance versus other more hardline Bajorans, you can kind of see her more tempered view. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. when, you know, when no like, one's compare, talking about like, God to, she seems very religious but when she's up next to the Bajoran yeah. Pope she seems not quite as religious right exactly. that's fair that's fair um, Kyle Barrett says Rapture this is an episode I like the idea of more than the episode itself I like the exploration of the Bajoran religion Cisco's dilemma of being stuck between his role in Starfleet and being the emissary and what it sets up for the future looking back on the episode I think I really like it 
The problem is that I found it to be the most boring episode to watch in a long time. Kai Wen has no bite and there's no drama at all in Cassidy's return. Also, it's funny that there's no reference to the plot of First Contact in the episode, especially since Worf himself has just returned from the past, having saved the future. <laughs> That's true. I, you know what? I was just kind of thinking about that. So where does the timeline correspond here, right? Because this episode was filmed in what, like beginning in 1997. First Contact came out in like late 1996. And that film... Like, the Defiant gets, like, wrecked by mm-hmm. the Borg. So, is the Defiant mentioned in, like, Ascent or anywhere between these two no, episodes? I don't think the Defiant was brought there's up a little bit of, There's a so. little bit of trivia in this. Iris, Stephen Bear, they originally had reference to the Defiant being repaired during this episode. And Iris, Stephen Bear took it out saying that he was unhappy with how they treated the ship in the First Contact yeah. movie. He got a little bit annoyed <laughs> by it, yeah. Well, maybe, That's I funny. mean, maybe, maybe Worf just grabbed a bunch of uniforms off the Enterprise when he left. And then that's how they all got their uniforms. They should have had Adam Scott on this episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just walking around in the no, background. No. Uh, is he in First Contact? Isn't he I the, thought... isn't he the, uh, the calm guy at the, on the Defiant when they're attacking the Borg at the start? And oh, yeah. Friends? You're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. There's another ship coming yeah. in. It's the Enterprise. Yeah, that guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kyle Barrett says, I guess that's no big deal. Yeah. we. I mean, it's, it's one of those funny things when you look at the timeline. First Contact coming out around this time. Just always strikes me as jarring. Um, it feels like it should have come out a lot earlier, but that's it. I it would have been great. I just don't get. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say it would have been great to just like have a hard cut to a scene <laughs> at like the end of a conversation with Dax and Worf before somebody interrupts, where Dax is like, "So you were in magnet boots on the underside of the Enterprise?" And he's like, "Yes, I was." And then somebody cuts in, and you know. I told the Borg to assimilate this. Yeah. I would have. I, I would wish. Have, I really wish you had been there to see it, Jitsi. Yeah, it was an awesome one-liner. I would have liked to have seen uh, them looking out. A stand, it's like Kira and Cisco standing on the promenade, looking out one of the windows, and one of the Borg just comes and smacks into the window. You know, from it's been, it's been traveling for thousands of years at this point, so it should have got there by now. That's it for the patron comments. Thank you guys for your uh, time. Thank you for writing in, letting me know your thoughts about Rapture. It's an episode that I sort of like, although we had we had a great difference of opinion on this one. I think that we haven't had much of a difference in opinion in it a while. It is pretty divisive. I think this episode does a lot of things that can split people in different ways. The reviews sure. are very high and very low on it. Some people love it. Some people don't yeah. like it at all. Mm. Um, and I, I'll give I'll give my final thoughts first. I think that uh, Rapture is by far the best of the Bajoran themed episodes. I think what it does is that it avoids being too specific about the Bajoran stuff and it instead settles into this weird sort of it's sort of cultural relativism, but they're, they're kind of saying like, whose perspective can you really say is the truth here, especially if all of them are turning out to be true. Uh, like the mm-hmm. science angle is proper. The Bajoran angle is proper. And I think that what it does with a lot of the characters is really fantastic. I love what it does with Kira. Kai Wen, it saves the character of Kai Wen with what it does here. Uh, Cisco is very interesting. I think that the visions, not seeing the visions was the right choice. I really like it. That said, I would never show it to anybody because it doesn't make sense out of context. This is like, this is the prime DS9 episode that I think is really mm. strong, but it re- relies so much on you knowing what the show has been doing to this point. I'm going to give it a four just because of how important I think that it is. But I do think it has structural problems. It's like Clay and Kyle Barrett were saying. It's not a particularly exciting to watch episode, uh, but I do like it. I think it's a four for that reason. So, Clay, do you want to go next? We'll save Isaac for last. Yeah, I. it's a tough one to, to rate because um, I appreciate all the things you guys are talking about as far as like how it it's, move, it's, it's a turning point for the show and stuff like that. But I do have... 
problems with uh, the execution and stuff. But it, I, I think I would say if you're going to give it a four, I'm going to give it a three with a uh, with an option to review. Okay. Isaac. Um. So I, I think actually I should probably mention one other thing we forgot to mention in terms of maybe a flaw of the episode. I don't know if it'll change anything, but um, I think one of the other things we uh, glossed over was the fact that I think in terms of the structure, the, the biggest problem is that other key events outside of the main event <clears throat> of Cisco's um, arc in this episode is kind of glossed over for the sake of the plot here. So like, the, I think, I think the major offense is Cassidy. I think you mentioned this earlier, Clay, yeah. but like Cassidy comes back and it's completely just sidelined by what Cisco's going through. Right, There's no scene right. of Cisco being sober and then reconciling with what happened with Cassidy. I, and, 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 I disagree. I think that's the point. Okay. I think that he is so enwrapped by his visions that it, it, it's, Oh, I, I I know it's the point. I, I understand what the episode's doing. I just think that it wasn't the right decision. I just, I just think that there should have maybe been an episode prior to this one that just puts Cassidy back. So you don't, so you don't even have to have that angle to the episode. It's just like she just is there, um, and then everything unfolds as it already does. Because if you if you take out the angle of she just came back from a penal colony, it changes pretty much nothing about the episode. Right. I you know yes I I think I still disagree I think that her coming back okay. and him not being anything other than hey good to see you but I got to get back to my visions I think that's the whole point of it and if you if you brought her back earlier and she was just here in the background for this one I feel that that impact is lessened do you so do you think it's like a trade off then so you have the impact of the dissidents of Cisco versus the losing out on the scene of sober Cisco reacting to her being back. Would you, would you take what happens here over the other event being lost? Yes. I, I don't need to see, okay. I don't need Cassidy to be reintroduced to me. I, I think that gotcha. because the episode is so based on like, if you've been watching this series, this will mean something you, you appreciate what it means when Cassidy comes back without having the show tell you that like Jake doesn't have to walk up and like, he does kind of have this scene with Cisco, but he tells him that he's back, but you don't have characters going like, why don't you hang out with your girlfriend instead of praying at the obelisk all day? Um, I, I like what they did here instead, I think. Yeah. I think for me, Fair it's, enough. it's, I'm, I wish that there had been a little bit more um, <clears throat> concern from Jake, especially about the fact that she just, she's, you know, she just got out of jail for working with the Maquis. I feel, I feel like <laughs> terrorist activities. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Cisco has a. You know, the first scene that they have with Jake and 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 Ben when they're talking about that, Jake is very pro Cassidy, and and Ben is kind of like, well, I don't know. Oh wait, is this that first scene after he's gotten the visions? He's doing the close encounters so, yeah, thing. So where he's oh, making okay. Potatoes. All right. Well, that's even worse. Right. For me, it though. cuts off into that stuff. The, yeah. I I feel like they don't have any sort of uh, Cassidy coming back feels like it should be kind of it's almost its own episode because I, I would feel like I would agree with that but yeah I yeah I agree I go ahead sorry. but I also I also think the ending ugh, it's tough for me because I feel I think the the point that they're trying to make with the ending where you know they're putting all their hands together is nice but yeah I kind of almost wish she had been there for another episode before that where you got to see Cisco being like, okay, that's cool that you're back, but I don't really 
know how I feel about you still because you just got out of terrorist jail. I, I, so, yeah, okay, yeah. And so then when you get to that point in this episode, it's like, okay, he has made some sort of reconciliation instead of her just showing up. You know what I mean? Sure. I'll, 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 I guess I'll split the difference. I, if I had my druthers, only Jake would have been in this episode. Cassidy can come back next episode. That's fair. Yeah, that, I, I would, yeah, that would that work works. for me. I think that, that would be the way that I would have gone about it because I think Cassidy being there removes a little bit of the Jake and Ben tension that should be built up throughout this because yeah, she kind of interferes with the scenes. And and that scene at the end is all about like you know family and and togetherness and trust and she did nothing but lie to him. <laughs> yes, that, that's a good. Like, point, there's no yeah. there's no reason that her showing up again should make him be like you know what you are part of this. You know I the, the, I feel like they need to address that. That's true. That's true. I, I I'll agree. I think Cassidy is probably the weakest part of it. Although I I liked why they included her here, but I do think that she could have been inserted afterwards and not much would have been lost. Um. So Isaac, what are you going to give this on a scale of one to five? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to, to chew on here. Um, I'll give it a four. I'll give it a week four. That's what I'll say because I think um, I think the ele- I think the episode is elevated by hindsight. I think the episode does, like you said, a lot for the characters, and not just for the characters, but also for where the show is heading. I, I think it puts the show in a much better position. Because I think without these things being established, the show will have just it'll have more episodes of just Kai Win just being diabolical and just kind of manipulating Bajoran politics. That's kind of mm-hmm. it. And you would still have episodes about you know I don't know like <laughs> Kira kind of just going along with the emissary thing and telling Cisco that he should go along with it and him just kind of strolling along. But like putting characters in such a position where they have to make fine line decisions and kind of come to terms with what they believe and why, especially in compared to where other characters stand, I think I think puts both the characters and the show in a very good place. Um, so for that alone, I think the episode deserves a four. But for everything else we mentioned, the structural issues, maybe some decision-making there, yeah, I think, I think week four is probably where I stand. That's it. We're done with Rapture. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. Hope you uh, enjoyed the content today. If you did... You can go to Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter. There's Facebook. They post things there occasionally. Discord. Join the Discord channel if you want to join the chat. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. A couple dollars a month. You can give PayPal. There's a PayPal link. And you can buy some merchandise. There's shirts and garbage like that. You can do that. All of those things support the show. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Non sequitur. Non sequitur real sure. quick. I got, I got something for you. So um, so for the past like three or four weeks, I've been catching up with the podcast because I've been having a pretty uh, hectic life for the past several months. So. I've been a bit away. So now that I'm back and I've been catching up everything on my work, um, <laughs> I had to bring up, I forget what episode it was now, somewhere in the middle of season four, you two have like this 25 minute discussion about like middle age <laughs> and like what it, like what, what, what the age is uh-huh. and like, yeah, <laughs> like taking like psychology. T- yeah, anyway, you mean um, where we had so, where we both had a real time? We both uh, broke our prices. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, you both have a, had a doctor's exam about this. Yes. Um. So as you can probably tell, I'm much younger. Mm-hmm. So I'm 19. When we recorded Heart of Stone, I was 18. Barely so legal. You can barely legal podcast. I, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. So like it's it was very funny from my perspective listening into something like that and like and I was sitting there at work like man. <laughs> <laughs> Am I losing my strength? Is my vigor failing? I'm, I'm here at 19 years old already worrying about my health. <laughs> Just listen to you two uh, 
prattle on it, about it. So I thought that was pretty well, I'm funny. I'm glad we could make you feel better, dickhead. Yeah, I know, right? It's also it's also bizarre to meet someone that I'm yeah. double your age, which is very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Can I, right. did, did I in well, that, did I in that rant when we were talking about middle age talk about how weird it is that my doctor is like the same age as me? Oh, I, well, you were kind of weirded out by younger doctors. <laughs> yeah, because my yeah. yeah, that's that's the thing that's been really weird. Not not we don't have to get into this again. Well, no, it's, although it's, although it's, I have to say to follow up on this discussion, I I was at a birthday party the other day, um, and I was uh, the, the, where the chips were. A friend of mine was was on the other side, and I was asking her what kind of what the dips were because I couldn't read them, <laughs> and she said, "Oh, this one's uh, hummus, and this one's." French onion dip. And I said, oh, man, you know, French onion dip is is really underrated. And I immediately felt myself become 55 years old. And I was like, <laughs> I did not just say that out loud, did I? He's like, you, you go and look at you like, you know, I could go for a bowl of French onion soup, I think, right now. No cheese, mm. though. That's a little bit too much for me. I just want the broth that I can sift yeah. through my dentures. <laughs> yep. See, and I have like the flip side perspective because I feel like I'm old just for like being here. It's like, I feel like I'm such a weird outcast. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's other younger viewers who listen to the podcast, but I think someone like myself who grew up on like old Star Trek, like I grew up on Mm. like the TOS movies, TNG. I watched DS9 when I was like 11 years old. Wait a Um, minute. Were you you born post 9-11? No, I was born in 99. So I would have been like a toddler. Oh, okay. All right. So I don't really remember much about the event. I remember like the immediate aftermath. Interesting. Some of my first memories were kind of my family telling me, a bit about what happened and you know why and everything um but yeah so it's it's very weird for me kind of always being in this more adult setting to some extent because a lot of my interests tend to be a bit more akin to what more middle-aged more boring <laughs> or yeah well <laughs> hey man more that's more tempered <laughs> that's that's just how it is i mean that's how it was when i was younger yeah. i mean all the music oh god don't right. don't make me say that that just felt really odd gross for me to say. <laughs> when, when you were younger when yeah. you were younger than what you well, are hey are. i mean yeah. we're we're kind of the same because you know we you can't drink because you're 19 and i can't drink because my liver's failing me yes. so <laughs> we just go to the marijuana dispensaries at this point. It's easier on our. There you go. Yeah, we get our own visions. That's from right. It. That's right. That's good. Uh, good. That's <laughs> we've come full circle. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else uh, to rant about being old. I don't think uh, I did my. Do taxes. either of you? Do either of you have an Echo Dot or yeah, an Echo? Or I have Amazon an Echo. Thing? I have an Echo. Yeah. Um, I just. Yeah, I have the Dot. I got one for free, which is how they get you, apparently. Uh, I don't really know what to do with it, but there's there's a bunch of Star Trek commands you can give it, which is kind of fun. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know if this is going to pick it up, but... Computer, how many lights are there? There are four lights. <laughs> right? I like how it even skips. Like it, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says it in the same phrasing. Yeah, yeah because awesome. I've been torturing it. <laughs> mm, endlessly. Like a true Cardassian. Yeah, you can you can make it do red alert, and it does the red alert noise, and you can fire photon <laughs> torpedoes and stuff. It's pretty fun. No, oh, nice. Yeah, I've, I've only changed my work, uh, the wake word to computer, and then I stopped yeah. doing it after a while. I changed yeah, it I back. Yeah, too. Um, yeah. Mm. But yeah, I basically use it to tell me what the weather is, play music, listen to podcasts, and then like help me do math while cooking, like how many tablespoons are in yep. a cup, things like that. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Anyway, we're done. Isaac, thank you very much for coming on the show. Glad to be here, man. I appreciate it. Clay, thank you very much. Yeah, anytime. We're Thanks done. For having me. We're done with Rapture. We are moving on to the next episode, which is I should know this: Darkness and the Light. That's right. Ooh, so good, curious episode. 
um yeah we'll be back with kira after this guys thank you very much for listening to the show thank you for supporting the podcast and we will be back with uh we'll have discovery on friday and then we'll have darkness in the light after that thanks very much see ya